The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. What does it mean to be present? To try and stay in the moment that you're in and not worry about the future or regret the past. It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. I'm Diane Ray, and I have always had questions about the big picture. God, life after death, spirituality, metaphysics, and what drives people to do what they do. And I like to ask them about it and learn from it. If you're a seeker like me, I hope you join me for some of these conversations on the podcast and be present with me in this moment. Welcome to the podcast today. I want to share a story with you of resilience, strength, and bravery. And my guest today is a survivor of trauma, abuse, a near-fatal car accident, addiction, and public shaming. And when I first got the book, Home is Within You by Nadia Davis, I have to admit, I had never heard of her or her story. So of course, I did a quick Google search. And that gave me the top story headlines. But really reading the book gave me a much better look at her inner story, which is so rich. And I've just been reading this book nonstop. I mean, the story is incredible. Nadia is a mom. She's an attorney, a victim's rights advocate, and yoga instructor. And you can find her online at Nadia-Davis, that's N-A-D-I-A-Davis.com. And I urge you to look her up because her story is incredible. And luckily she is here to share it with me today. So I'm really grateful that she could join me. So thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for all you do. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is an incredible story. It's pretty sweeping. Um, I, w- I would have to say epic. So I don't know if I'll even be able to like touch on everything, but I'm going to try to really pull kind of the, the main you know things from the story because it really is incredible. And your story is still ongoing. Let's let people know, you know, the, the story continues, right? So this memoir, memoir, I mean, it's so brutally honest. You're so very brave to share everything that's happened to you so people can benefit from your experience. Why did you feel that now was the time to put this together and release this book after everything you've been through? Primarily as a mother, I began writing, got into that writing mode after struggling for a while. When I started with Dear Son, and it really wasn't intended at first, like this is going to be a book I'm, I'm going to put out there. And the more that I wrote and connected with my father's spirit and began then with his story, because I wanted my children to know that, the more and more it just flowed out. And part of me had already dealt with or addressed the outside story that had been told and the need to, you know, this is really the truth. This is what happened. I'm not that label. I had done a ton of work to get to a point where I knew the truth within. I knew my true self and where none of that was affecting me as much. And so when I began writing kind of in the middle of the book, it just became sharing everything that I had learned with others that I saw suffering and 
that's really where it came from in my heart initially as a mom. And then I guess trying to spread motherly love out to others struggling. And you felt this was really the best time to like everything kind of came together at the right time, the stars aligned. And in the book, the book was born because this is such a, like I said, it's, it's a, a sweeping, like epic, um, you leave nothing out. I mean, it's all there, kind of warts and all. And there's a lot of love. I mean, you mentioned your sons. You know, you share letters to your sons in each chapter, and that kind of is a, a theme that ties the, the book together with mm-hmm. the letters. And was that really important for you to share those letters with the readers? Yes. One of the things that my therapist told me at a real pivotal time, I mean, in the depths of darkness, and despair. She said, you are not a body, nor the thoughts your mind makes. And that we are all born of this core innocence and truth. And in that moment, you know, I, I thought I was just a body and my thoughts and I I was almost offended when she said that. And so after all these years of recovery, it was, if I can teach my children one thing, it's that that core innocence was, is, and always will be there. And then how our mind separates us from that truth. So that was the motivation of the snippets here and there throughout the book where I saw what was happening on that page factually, yet the real internal and spiritual teachings and learnings were in those letters to my son so that right. it could be a guidepost. Yes, they're beautiful. And it's it's such a nice part of the book that you share that. And I mean, family obviously is very important to you. It's, it's a big part of your story. In the book, you tell us a lot about your family and your upbringing. And, you know, people have to read this because it's so interesting. I'm fascinated with family of origin um, things, you know, and, and how you can see threads of things happening in your past with your family, how it affects you today. Um, you know, things like addiction um, is one. Uh, but speaking about your family, I just want to mention your father because. He was a prominent lawyer. He came from an immigrant background, fought his way to success, just such an interesting guy. And how big of an influence was he on you? I mean, you became an attorney. What were some of the things you learned from him? My father was my hero. And while our conversations weren't long, it was what he dedicated his life to and just this overall auric energy of warmth, of what's good in the world. You know, he believed in justice. He he dedicated his life to helping people. And he also was a bridge builder between political parties. And whenever there was a an issue, he was the one that could get people to sit at the same table, but you knew what he stood for. So in my, you know, childhood mind where after trauma and after not knowing um, how to identify, you know, and any of my feelings kind of being disassociated, the thing that kind of got me out 
was this sense of worth and everything outside me. And from a very, very early age on, I knew that I wanted to, quote unquote, save the world and was doing these canned food drives, Amnesty International. And when my father saw me like doing these things, it was just a look in the eye, like, I get it. And always this, um, this understanding of, I know you have big dreams and follow them. And he looked like, I look like him, identified with him and had experienced some, some racial stuff as a child. And he just kept going and would say, I am who I am. And that's the source of good. What an inspiration. Yes. Yeah. He must've been such an inspiration because I could, I could see where through him, through his example, you know, you were drawn to the victim's rights work that you did. You know, you, you fought hard to get into law school and worked really hard. I mean, I know several people who have failed that test, you know, just (laughs) even get in. So the fact that, you know, you got in, you succeeded and, and I want to tell people one of your big successes that you must be really proud of. Um, as an attorney, you fought tirelessly to free a man named Arthur Camerona, who was an innocent victim, jailed for a crime he didn't commit. I think he was only 16 right, at, the, at the time. What was it? Carmona? Arthur Carmona. Okay. Thank you. I knew I'd mess things up or mess <laughs> up the name. Um, and I know you must be so proud of that achievement. So I wanted people to hear a little bit about that because I think that's, that's such an accomplishment, what you were able to do as an attorney to free him. I was a brand new attorney and, um, my father had passed abruptly when I was in law school at the beginning of my second year and, um, continuing, um, to follow, you know, his inspiration, I moved back to Santa Ana, his hometown, and um, was helping my mom and ended up running for the school board and studied for the bar exam and passed. And I literally had been sworn in, you know, a month and I walked into a community meeting and a mom was there and made a plea for her son. And it just uh, was instinctive in me that what is the purpose of even going to law school and becoming an attorney if I turn my back on this mother? And, you know, um, I wasn't uh, a naive advocate. I did my research. I looked at the records and indeed he was wrongfully convicted at the age of, you know, 17 of two armed robberies. And there had been a string of robberies in the area and um, the the court record is painstaking to read. There was absolutely no defense on his behalf. And it just, it broke my heart. And so it wasn't me alone. There was a whole community of people that, that helped me. His mother and her love for her son was just such an inspiration. And so... It, it really, really um, was a community effort, but it helped me to feel closer to my dad in so many ways, so many, so many ways. And um, it's such and an incredible story, you know, what, was, what you're able to do. And unfortunately, Arthur is no longer with us. He uh, tragically passed away, um, but you were able, 
I mean, this was years later, though, I, I have to add. People, you have to read the book to find out the whole story and the timeline of, of how he all this happened. Freed is the most important thing to say. Yeah. He was freed. And I know he struggled with connecting with the truth and the branding that was put on him as regardless of his record, you know, being cleared, there's when you're um, freed as a wrongfully convicted, it's not a, an innocence marking. And so part of his story and his spirit coming to me along with my father's and my darkest moment is a pivotal point in the book where their spirit was, you know, your truth. This is right. not you. I was at, at Limwin Women's Facility when that happened. And his spirit was absolutely by the side of my father's as I was writing this book, for sure. And his story needed to be told in whole. Yeah, I, I think so. And he was so lucky and, and blessed that he was able to connect with you. And, and reading through all of that experience truth and what's right and, and telling it is very, is important to you. And you can tell that, you know, as, as you read the book, I mean, you've accomplished so many amazing things. You were also a County supervisor in Alameda County here in California. Um, in 2010, I mean, you represented over 350,000 constituents. I mean, that's huge. That's a huge position. Um, what did, did you enjoy that work? I did pressure. I mean, what was that like? Level of government to be in because it's not, you know, way up with legislating and writing, although that can change the world and make it a better place. And it's not like so local with, but what I found so much so was connecting people and resources together for bigger causes, whether it was juvenile justice or family violence efforts and, you know, helping the frontliners and then the leaders of the frontliners continue to do what they were doing well, where I saw it. And then I also chaired the um, uh, social security advocacy committee that dealt with our highest level of homelessness there. And unfortunately my personal struggles and what I was going through, I just felt that, um, I, I resigned eventually. I had to, to get the help that I needed. Yeah. And you share that so honestly, and there's so much more to that story. So like, like I said in the beginning of, of our interview, I wasn't here in California when all of this stuff happened, which is probably a benefit that I didn't, I didn't come to your story like with a preconceived idea or I hadn't seen any of that stuff. So when I did Google and I, and I read you know, what was going on. I mean, people, I, I do want people to read the book, but there was this, this whole situation. Um, your ex-husband, uh, Bill Lockyer was the former attorney general of California and state treasurer. He had some pretty big accomplishments, a very public figure when you met, you know, he was much older than you by 30 years, you know, you were in this relationship, which was a long-term relationship, like mm -hmm. 20 years over the course of the whole thing. Um, and, and you must have learned so much about yourself, you know, through through all of that. You, you have some beautiful children, uh, too, as a result of that. I mean, I, I want people to read what happened, but through all, through all of that and in the relationship, how how are things now? Like, what did, what did you learn from that? I guess. 
I know that's a big question because like so much happens. You know, we were uh, talking earlier about these, uh, this future, um, what we're going to do with, you know, the home and a variety of things as we, I'm sharing again, as we just closed, you know, the financials and the court. Um, and I say that because from filing years ago, our main focus has always been the kids. And whenever that stuff would come up, it was so much to go through and so much to deal with that we set it aside. And at that time, I did not know how my trauma triggers were working. And I was, I was afraid to push anything um, because then it, his own fears were, were coming up and, and projected in unhealthy ways. And so today we're at a very, very different place. Um, our co-parenting, um, I do have to say is strong and it's because of the work that I have done. It's, it's because I can recognize when he is in his fears and judgments because I can recognize when I am and when it is separating me from the core truth of, of what we are. And so I'm able to approach differently and, um, and speak words of, I know you're afraid of um, his elderly years now and what, you know, making plans and helping him know that everything is going to be okay just simply starting from that base point, whenever we're talking about the financial stuff or the house, like we did earlier, um, is coming. It's choosing love over fear and judgment. And we have that choice every single day, every single day. And I really feel like the ego mind works mainly in the fears and in the judgments. And when I see that, I know I'm in that survivalist mode when I can observe it in my ex-husband. Okay. I can be in love and respond with love. So anyways, the boys are, we have seven year old twin boys and they're doing well. You know, they went through separation and togetherness and then separation again. And now I could say it's been enough years where, um, they're normal very active <laughs> seven-year-old twin boys on each other or whether it's with us. It's, it's just a joy. I had them when I was 44. I just turned 52. So um, it's been quite a journey. And then we have an older son, Diego, who's 19 and studying um, astrophysics and really the true beginnings of everything. And so being a mom of an older son and then now younger ones is really a huge blessing. So we, we co-parent, we co-parent really well. And and that's a huge accomplishment. You should be really, really proud of that. And, and I really want people to read the story of what it took to get to that place. Yes. Because you. it's, there's a, there's a, a lot there and this would be like a, a two hour, um, interview on that, but it, it's, it's really amazing how you were able to accomplish this and come to a place where you're able to co-parent um, with your sons and navigate it. Really, so, and, and, and he's a big part of the book. So I, you know, I do want people to know 
that he is a big part of that. Um, something that I want to, I do want to mention, and I won't belabor this too much, but I, because I think it's so important is the subject of shame. And I think that it's pervasive in our culture. We seem to take this perverse pleasure, uh, as a public, you know, like people like to see someone fall. Um, you see it every day. And I think shame is so toxic. It's so powerful and so controlling of an emotion. And you went through just a horrific experience of public shaming, you know, including face horrible Facebook posts on online harassment, um, tapes sent to your house. I mean, just this, the level of what you went through, I, I can't even, I can't even imagine to, to put myself in that position of being like, just so kind of flayed open and just exposed. Um, I mean, and you talk, you talk about this very honestly in the book, how were you able to move past this? I mean, and how difficult is it to do interviews like this, you know, where you know that you know people are going to ask questions. Um, it's out there, you know, what's ever out on the internet is going to live. Right. I mean, there's things out there about me. I'm sure that if I dug, you know, I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want it out there. Although luckily I grew up before Facebook, you know, we didn't have to worry about that in high school. Kids have to worry about that now. So I know this is a big question, but what, what would you say about tackling shame? Like, and, and at that level and how toxic that emotion is. For me, the outside shaming brought me to the depths of darkness and suicidality. And it wasn't until, you know, the sixth fall after getting myself up on my own will in that grin and bear it mode that we praise and they, I'm going to prove I'm a, I'm a good person. I dedicated my life to helping people. And what is there is completely the opposite. And it was this, you know, the little girl fighting spirit again. And it wasn't until I heard, again, you are not a body, nor the thoughts your mind makes. And none of that out there is the truth. The only truth that matters is that you are an infinite spirit, whole, divine, complete, and nothing anybody has said or done including yourself, changes that. And I kept repeating this. I kept repeating it. I kept using breath work to feel safe in my body because there were so many, there were so many outside triggers. And it just, I mean, over the years, the outside stuff had less of an effect and I think the road was so long because then I had to start on the inside with the, the, my own shame. Then that layer started. And by then I had built support a support network, was in therapy, had a fellowship, began kundalini yoga trainings, did a second three level two kundalini yoga trainings and just really surrounded myself with sources reminding me of that truth. And 
after so many years that I started writing the book and really the shame within subsided and it's it's daily awareness of the attack thoughts and that fear and judgment but as a base point for others to ban their own shame we have discussions about the difference between guilt and shame you know guilt is i did something bad shame is i am bad there's a lot of that discussion out there but i don't think that we talk enough about the basic workings of the mind like the the basic and so how i begin when i'm working with others is that same statement is we are not bodies nor our thoughts yet we're in this mind and we're and we're in this body so how does this whole thing work our mind has helped the human race survived this long. And survivalist may sound extreme, but that's really is, that's what it's doing. And so it'll come up with these thoughts uh, that supposedly are supposed to help us survive. Most of them are fears that are based on our roles, our identity, our sense of worth and purpose. So What are the things that are important to you? Is it, you know, your life as a mom? Is it as a dad? Is it the work? You know, think about what those things are. And when you have worries and concerns, what is, you know, just think about the fear and know that it can separate you if it turns into shame. If we right. can identify it, shame is I am bad. I, I, I will lose this job. I will lose whatever it might be. If we can stop just with that, not beat ourselves up, not beat ourselves up for having them because we're in a mind. If we can just stop with awareness of that attack thought to our connection, it, it won't go to shame. Right. I mean, it's so, I just see it so pervasive in our culture right now where like people take this perverse pleasure in shaming someone, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing, seeing them fall. And you're right. A lot of it is if you can separate yourself from those, those thoughts that come and go like waves, right. And just not attaching, you know, to what that is because how many thoughts do we think a day? I think someone had a number like 600,000 yeah, or something, right. you know, some ridiculous number and knowing in your core, what's important to you, the people you love, you know, what's happening around you in, in this very moment, not all this other garbage, you know, that's floating out there. Um, so I think your message is, is so important and, and what yeah. you were able to overcome is uh, incredible. That was a starting point. And then, and then after, you know, more and more trauma therapy and understanding the core workings, I knew a lot of fears are generally abandonment. A lot of fears are generally, you know, safety. And so starting at the point of, okay, I'm just going to write the thoughts down, we can continue to to do the other work, to do breath work and feel calmer in our body. And with both of those things, whether it's 
going back and seeing um, how core traumas have, have molded our mind, or it's the body work and the somatic stuff, more and more uh, awareness of the fears will come up. And we will know when the projections from others are coming onto us. And so it's, it's this layered process. And in the book, you know, I, I, and in a lot of the lives that I do on Instagram, it's all a layered thing of work from trauma therapy, from 12 step programs, from A Course in Miracles, and a ton from Kundalini Yoga and the ancient Eastern teachings. So, but the base starting point, I wrote on a post-it, had in my car, you are not a body, nor the thoughts your mind makes. And over so much time, the rest of the stuff comes together. That's so powerful. I mean, yeah, we, it's just, it's so important that we're, we're able to make that distinction and, you know, you've just been through so much. I mean, I I do want to touch a little bit on, on the addiction issues because that's another huge thing that's, you know, so prevalent in our society. If you're not experiencing or haven't experienced an addiction, I guarantee, you know, somebody who has, um, I've got family members that are dealing with it right now. Um, what was the, the, the lesson that you learned overcoming that? I mean, I'm sure that the yoga and the other practices were, were helpful in dealing with the addiction issues. W- would you say that's true? Absolutely. Absolutely. I began later. I mean, the, the drinking became a problem after my father passed. And then later, um, I, I started drinking to manage with the chronic pain, like the, those initial years. And I would say lengths of sobriety. It was the unaddressed trauma. It was this flight, fight, freeze, fawn mode. So, you know, addiction for me is very much related to the trauma recovery and sobriety um, allowed diving in to the feelings and the experiences, whereas picking up a drink, you know, was numbing it. And it was like chiseling flashbacks and bad memories more in my head. And, and really, it was only during those points where I became suicidal, was intoxicated, which is the mind having complete control. Right, right. It's, it's so, it's so difficult. And, you know, people that are struggling with this, it's such a a huge issue, but you give so much hope in the book, you know, by sharing your story and you're, um, you've been sober how long now? Over three years. It's been over three years. I, I always, um, hesitate when I'm asked that question, because in the program, we talk about like hardcore sobriety. But I was given Ativan when I had a COVID anaphylactic reaction over a year ago and was not comfortable with that and have had spinal epidurals where they give me something. And so in my understanding, and in my brain, I know what that did to my body. And so it's even like heightened awareness. Yeah. So, you know, it's also 
a point in the shame and shaming is others may say, well, you know, you needed this for surgery and all, but did you? And knowing our truth and knowing our truth and not allowing others, um, 10 marks to determine what a sobriety date is basically. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. No, you should, and you should be proud about that. Yeah. You should be proud of that and not, you know, not let anybody else's influence, you know, you know what, you know what, what you've done, but it's, it's such a big issue. And I know so many people are dealing with this and they're going to find a lot of, uh, a lot of hope, you know, in, in your story in in what you've shared so honestly in the book. And I I do want to mention the healing practices though. So you could let us know, cause you're a, a yoga teacher now. Um, the Kundalini yoga practice has been, um, so, so strengthening for you, you know, instrumental in helping you to, to rebuild and what's your practice like today? Like, what are some of the other things that you do to keep, keep yourself together? Every morning, um, I do meditate. Sometimes it's to a mantra and the words to this mantra are exactly what I experienced when I passed. And it just sets the tone for the only truth that matters. And so every morning I, I do that. And sometimes in the day I'll have it plain. Um, and a ton of breath work. I have chronic pain. And like everybody else, there's these little triggers here and there, like we talked about. And so sometimes it's sitting down and the deep breath work. It's breathing in five seconds, holding it, and then letting it go. Sometimes it's breath of fire. But I think that the most important thing here is the home, the sense of home, and a sense of calm and safety in our bodies. And that is what I mean by a home within you, is we all like long for a home. And there's an ideal one, there's a physical one, but through Kundalini Yoga, that's how I was able to find that space in my body. And so every day, I, every day I uh, tune in with it all, whether it's the body, my mind, and then something beyond me. So, Right. And that's where you find the truth. You know, it, it lies within. I mean, it may sound like a, a cliche or a lyric from a Cat Stevens song. The answer lies within. Um, but it, it is true. And, and when you can touch that and reach that, it, it's so healing. And just to wrap up, like if there's one thing you could say to someone struggling with, you know, some of the issues that you've gone through, the mental health, the, the addiction, would that be the message that the, the answer is within and you can find it? It's, it's available. This home is within you. And if you're struggling, if you've had a relapse and you can't seem to reach out for help, you know, go somewhere and sit and just connect to the truth of what you are that has not been changed by a relapse, by a depression, by any of those things. And that the most courageous thing that you can do is to listen to that voice, listen to that 
that calling of warmth and light and pick up the phone or take a walk outside and connect with another human being. What I have learned is that what we feel vulnerable about sharing and what keeps us in the darkness is what we have learned to feel shame about or in ourselves. And so if you're in that space, the most important thing I can say is sit and go and connect to your truth and you will find the courage to see past anything that's making you feel vulnerable and that shame and will be able to reach out for help. It's the most courageous thing that we can do. Ask for help. That's so true. Just being able to admit, you know, hey, I need some help. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for people to do because we want to just shoulder everything ourselves and not ask. So what you're sharing is so important. Um, let us know your Instagram. Uh, how can people follow you if they'd like to, you know, join you on on some of your exercises? And I know you do a lot of stuff on social media. So it's at Nadia Maria Davis on Instagram. And the website that has a whole bunch of different links is www.nadia-davis.com. Nadia-davis.com. Well, I'm going to follow you on Instagram now. So, okay. <laughs> so look, look for me. And, and thank you so much for sharing your story and being so courageous. It's an incredible achievement, this whole book. It's like an epic. I mean, I think that people are going to benefit a lot from your story and your bravery. Homeless Within You is the title. So check it out, Nadia Davis. And also, if you like this podcast with me, which I hope you do, please follow on Apple, Google, Spotify, go to mindbodyspirit.fm and check out all the other amazing podcasters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. And thank you so much, Nadia, for talking to me today. Thank you so much. The network is incredible. So I encourage others to check it out. <laughs>